Welcome to Bold Thinking, entrepreneurial stories honestly told. In a world full of chaos, this is a podcast about the people making positive change in the world, using bold thinking to transform businesses and themselves. Carbet A is a Montreal-based business strategist and executive advisor with over 25 years of hands-on operational marketing, merchandising and retail executive experience. He's the founder of Studio RX and has been named by Rethinks Retail amongst the world's 100 top most influential retail thinkers. And even recently published his first book, The Great Acceleration, The Race to Retail Resilience. It explores the rapid changes to retail since the pandemic. And I've got to say, resilience is a topic close to my own heart. So I'm really excited to welcome um, Carl to Bold Thinking. Nice to meet you, Carl. How are you doing today? Great to hear you, Julia, and thank you for having me. Oh, I just want to dig right down into this and hear a little bit about your business and about your new book that you've written a lot about. Obviously, it's absolutely topical at the moment with this whole retail resilience and, you know, after the pandemic. So if you'd love to tell us a bit more about that. Well, there's a lot to unpack. So, um, yeah, the business Studio RX is just basically my advisory service where we uh, work uh, closely with uh, with predominantly retailers, but now more recently working with um, with brands and solution providers as well uh, around thinking about the shifting dynamics uh, around the consumer and how we address them and, and the whole go to go to market uh, that intersects with the customer journey. So that's that's very much data driven and all all the things that basically uh, makes a retailer uh, or a brand or a technology company relevant today. Uh, the book is sort of an extension of all that because the book was actually uh, a five year sort of off and on process that was instigated by a dinner I had, uh, a reunion dinner I had with my business, my business school, where I sat next to my favorite uh, strategy professor. And uh, at the end of the dinner, he said, "You got a book in you." And I was like, "Well, I have no idea what that means. It's the first time somebody uses those words with me, but I'll try to figure it out." Uh, and uh, and what I really latched onto early on was the the, uh, and this is what I've been talking about for the past decade mostly, is around how you remain relevant. And then, uh, so I was developing some models around that, digging into some research uh, and, and developing a, 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 what I call the retail relevance index, and and then uh, sort of was shifting more and more towards the re- the role of sustainability and the broader definition of sustainability and how that was going to impact the relevance. And then, lo and behold, January 2020, uh, guess where I am? I'm in the middle of Asia. I chair the ASEAN Retail uh, Conference, and then on my way back, decide that I want to swing through Shanghai, uh, which is sort of ground zero of retail innovation. And uh, and I'm on a plane back to Canada on January 16th, literally days before uh, you know the news breaks about this. Uh, the, well, not a pandemic at that moment, but. Uh, so, so, uh, move forward a couple of months and, uh, now we're all sort of thinking about what the impacts of, uh, this, this global, um, health crisis is, is doing on, on the path to purchase and the word acceleration keeps coming up and I'm actually hosting this time, uh, a dear friend of mine's own book launch. And we're having a brilliant conversation uh, around acceleration with uh, Seth Godin, who you might uh, be familiar with, and uh, Scott Galloway, who is a very well-known sort of prognosticator, a marketing professor and, and entrepreneur himself uh, in, in the U.S. And, 
And I, that's where I sort of came up with this, this suggestion and thinking about how we could reflect back on this period of history as we have had the Great Depression, we've had the Great Recession. Uh, could we look to at least in a more, under a more positive light uh, at this period of time is the great acceleration because it was the word and still is. I mean, I, it's hard to find a business article written where we don't at least depict some form of, of rapid, uh, rapid adoption, rapid change. So that's what created the book. And then the notion of the race to resilience, uh, which I'm sure we can further unpack, is really then this idea that we have to move very quickly to a 50-50 physical digital world uh, that will build the organizational resilience or help build organizational resilience, which is a lot less about technology and a lot more about uh, company culture. So, I mean, just from that book and your reflection, obviously, you know, based in Canada, but obviously a global perspective, you know, what do you see has the big, the big major change? Is there ever going back? You know, would there ever be any um, commercial model around physical retail anymore? You know, have we left that for good? And, you know, what perspective are you seeing around that? Yeah. So, no, we haven't left it for good. Not at all. I think the purpose... The reason why we use the word acceleration is it's not the great reset or it's not the great, uh, you know, we're not, we haven't changed that much. We've just accelerated the change that was already in motion. Uh, and uh, so a lot of this that we've lived, we've lived through, obviously it's been depending on what sector you are, if you're in, in air travel, uh, then then this has been a little more drastic on you, but and, and there are the 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 market dynamics will be a bit different at how at what a return looks like. But for physical retail, you know we've been prognosticating for some time that we were heading to this 50-50 world, which hopefully my 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 uh, hope is that once we get to this sort of uh, parity, that it's going to we're going to stop talking about the differences and just focus on what makes each each one better with the other. So the idea is definitely not moving away from physical retail. If anything, it's an, an increased emphasis uh, on the value it creates. Now, does that mean there has to be a reallocation of uh, the footprints? Do we need always need such uh, large uh, format stores? Possibly, depends how we, how we decide to use them and the purpose they're going to serve. But uh, yes, I mean, and, and in the book, I interview uh, I have eight uh, really amazing um, sort of entrepreneurs in their own right uh, in, in, that I wanted to uh, get their take. And these are people from around the world and different, you know, different pieces of the dynamic from technology to sustainability to new, new, new concepts. And everybody sort of was reflecting on the same, on the same dynamics and how they were all reacting differently in some ways, or at least trying to distinguish themselves differently. But at the core, the, you could sense that everybody was truly trying to accelerate their uh, their value proposition to uh, to kind of catch up to the consumer. Well, it's fascinating. And obviously, we've had a, uh, a new Amazon store opened mm. in London recently, three and a half thousand square foot, um, the first outside of the US. Um, have you got any take on that? It's quite a there's a little article already the day about Andy Jones, director, said about convenience is part of the store offer and actually Put, put tills back in and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a four star that just opened this week uh, uh, in the UK. And, and it's, it's an interesting format. I don't know. I mean, one thing um, I, I do spend probably too much time uh, studying Amazon and, and uh, there was a big documentary here in Canada that just came out last week that I, 
I, I contributed to that we were really sort of unpacking all the pros and cons of 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 working dealing with Amazon and and the societal larger societal impacts. But putting that aside for a second and and focusing on what they're doing with Four Star or Amazon Fresh uh, or all the other sort of concepts Amazon Go that they're they're juggling around. I mean, it is obviously quite indicative that. Uh, physical retail is not dead because they recognize that it's sort of a blind spot for them. Uh, I think their use of using physical retail is probably much different uh, than what our, our our traditional or legacy retailers uh, see it as. We often see we've seen retail as a distribution point, uh, you know, well lit shelves in a good location, uh, whereas Amazon just sees it as one more data point, you know, another place to sort of get contextual data. Uh, that is that they're they're sorely missing. Uh, so how they decide to roll this out, they're 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 not very good. I find it physical retail, other than the frictionless stuff, which they're they're phenomenal. And the only reason they're phenomenal at it is because they're so well capitalized that they can just they they don't need to have the sh- you know short medium term business case to justify the investments. They can just go out and, and make these massive bets. Uh, which pretty much any other retailer can't can't measure up to, even the largest like Walmart and and those, but or Tesco. So it's it is, but it is very very interesting to see their moves and uh, and where I think it's still important to be inspired by some of the innovation they bring. But a concept like Four Star, I don't think is something that uh, we'll see many other uh, types of retailers look to replicate. I think everybody has a. Our existing physical retail ecosystem is probably better at it than than Amazon is, but again, using it for different purposes as well. Tend to agree with you on that. Um, one of the things we've been talking about a lot on this podcast is, you know, bold thinking. Obviously, coming through this pandemic, the rate of change and pivoting of businesses has been incredibly rapid. So, really, want to ask you a little bit about, you know, what bold thinking means to you. And what you're seeing out there in the world that's reflecting some of that bold thinking? Yeah, I mean, so the, the, even previous to the pandemic, you know, we saw that there was the, a need for bolder thinking. And uh, uh, an example that struck me is I do a lot of work with the um, with McGill University here, where we have a retail innovation uh, lab, and you know, I've been part of the launch of a retail management school here that uh, was instigated about five years ago. And um, we had the CEO of one of the largest companies here, a retail company is one of the most storied, think about almost like a Tesco um, and but, but at our proportion. And, and he came through and addressed the students and was like, you know, five, 10 years ago, if you were going to ask me what was going to happen five, 10 years from now, uh, from then, I would have been talking about changes in format, digital adoption, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, today, when you ask me about, you know, five, 10 years from now, I'm going to tell you quite honestly, I don't know if we're going to still be around five, 10 years from now as a company. Um, and these are, these are really entrenched. Now, was this to provoke uh, and sort of shape, rattle the cages of the inertia that it's often in these, uh, in these organizations? And has the pandemic uh, sort of created this this perfect opportunity to create the sense of much needed sense of crisis, quite honestly, that was needed by organizations to sort of get out of these perpetual loops that have held them back of of trying to keep on doing things, uh, you know, the same or with small incremental change and and the change that, you know, that the highest level 
the executives have probably wanted to do, but just it's very hard to move the entire, especially the larger ships, in new directions. So, uh, so the bold thinking, you know, around the pandemic has been, you know, this has been sort of the perfect opportunity for these organizations to say, because uh, as for any change management initiative, step one is create a sense of urgency. So has this created the sense of urgency that has allowed the bolder thinking to sort of rise to the top? Um, my, so I think the answer to that is yes, in most cases, but a lot of these organizations have, have used this to restructure, to, uh, to you know, get out of leases that they wanted to just do it more quickly, downsize, resize, uh, reallocate, uh, and all these things. So I'm, you know, you're see, we've seen a, a ton of that um, to the point where, and interesting, I did a follow-up interview from the book um, last week with Stacey Shulman, who's the uh, head of emerging technologies for Intel Corp. And, uh, and, you know, she deals with all the around the world with all, all the sort of the, 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 the business leaders it has a very unique perspective on the way things are shifting. And there is some concern around fatigue and that this, you know, too much bold thinking is sort of uh, caught up to some organizations and now there's some reflection going on. So it's interesting to see uh, what the sort of the counterbalances were. And I don't know about you, Julia, but this summer, you kind of felt it. People were like, needed the time off. I saw, you know, a lot versus a year ago, obviously, where nobody took any time off because they were just, everybody was, especially the senior management teams were, were you know, under so much pressure to rapidly adjust and, and, and react that they just, there was just no, there was no reprieve. Whereas now this past summer, you know, I think I've never seen people take so many like two, three, four week holidays before, but it was, it was really needed because the bold thinking was, was as, as well was needed, but was the organization a little resilience. Uh, and, you know, I think that's sort of the next step is how we, how the postmortems around this is we're not done with having these, these large uh, shockwaves come through. They could be physical, they could be digital with uh, <laughs> any good example just a couple of days ago or, where, uh, where, what is a world without Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp for half a day? Um, so all these sort of things that are happening increasingly, for increasing frequency, they can be weather related, they can be digital, they can be technology related, they can be uh, you know, health related. Uh, organizations are going to have to really look back and see and, and improve around the bold thinking saying, okay, now we need to put the filters up and really understand what type of bold thinking and how do we how do we filter the right actions that are and, and have the courage to take those actions uh, that were that are based sort of on this these uh, you can call, I guess you can call them filters of resilience you know what we can do that are going to make us more adaptable and all the other buzzwords that we've had with agility, agility and all that stuff but it's true that's sort of the core going to increasingly be the core um, muscle of organizations going forward is how do we rapidly adapt and that requires a lot of bold thinking. Well, it's interesting. I was reading um, an article about four or five months ago about 40% of the global workforce sort of reconsidering, rethinking their their roles within organizations. And, and actually I had a little look yesterday and it got up to 47. Yeah. So I think that's probably a reflection of that fatigue. And I think you're right. I think the bold thinking is absolutely needed to pivot business. But there's probably an element of if businesses are saying in five to 10 years, we might not be around, it's operating in actually a bit of a fear mode because then people think, oh, I'm only, I don't know, 35 or 45 or whatever age at that and I might not have a job and it operates in a fear and it's hard to function at that level yeah. repeatedly without a sense of sort of fatigue. And I know one of the things we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, Carl, was around what's been your boldest idea and how did you make it happen? And we started talking about the 
social entrepreneurial business that you've been helping and working with, which I absolutely found fascinating. Could you tell us a little bit about your about that? Yeah, so I mean, this this acceleration um, <laughs> in the past eighteen months is his. I guess there's sort of two ways you could, you know, you could tackle it. You can sort of just sort of one way was sort of sit back and just kind of let, try to hope the wave passes and, and catch back up later or see this as an opportunity to, to, to engage in a bunch of new um, opportunities or create new opportunities. And, and one that came my way, which was tied to that infamous visit to Asia uh, in January 2020, was uh, I got connected with a group of young business school graduates that were out of university, a university in Bangkok, where I actually teach now as well, at the marketing at the MBA level, which also came from all this this acceleration. But uh, and working with this this group of young graduates who came were coming out of business school at a time where there was you know everything was shutting down, <clears throat> and these graduates, although they studied in Bangkok, they were based out of Kathmandu. Uh, and uh, one in particular that was sort of, you know, really engaged in, in looking for opportunities to learn. So I proposed, uh, I proposed to him to build a team out there that would help, uh, would support local businesses. They didn't have much uh, working experience, but they sure had a lot of good academic, uh, you know, business school experience that they could share with these, these small, uh, these small businesses with these non non nonprofits in Kathmandu or in, in Nepal. That were having to to make their own pivots around adjusting to the pandemic, and uh, and so we've been doing a lot of work there for the past eighteen months, uh, helping. Uh, I mean, the team there is you know is, is on the day to day, and I'm, I've sort of instigated and supporting them and allocating some resources to make them help them make them successful. But for instance, one one project they've been working on is uh, a local transportation system that uh, actually was one of the first in the world to be all electric, uh, which are these little tempo buses they call them, uh, and helping uh, the and, and that are mostly owned by women and women in. Um, you know, in, in underprivileged circumstances that have these buses and they use them to basically uh, ferry people around. And, uh, and now they're, they need sort of a repositioning. And, uh, and so we've been helping them uh, or the, you know, the group we started been helping them do that. That's just one example. There's probably a dozen others like that uh, out of, uh, out of Nepal, which again, 18 months ago, wasn't even on my radar. Uh, and now uh, through these different opportunities that have, been seized and 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 the openness as well that we've seen over the last eighteen months for people to try new things and have these bold ideas. Um, it's it's really been uh, uh, for me an amazing instigator of of some really uh, rewarding or personally rewarding opportunities, uh, not financially, but uh, you know, being just knowing that we can touch somebody in Montreal can support uh, an, a team of young and ambitious and talented people in, in Kathmandu trying to make a difference. So that's, that's, uh, that was a, a, you know, a highlight so far of, of, of what's occurred throughout this pandemic. So, you know, just talking about brands today, what do you think people want or need from brands today? What are people looking for from, for, from them? Yeah, well, so there's two frameworks in the book that kind of coincide into that. And one is, the retail relevance index, which is really a brand, uh, could be a brand relevance index, and how do you differentiate and, may, and be seen as as a, a true value add? 
And, uh, and so, you know, there's sort of the traditional ones, which are, can be seen around price or, or, or uh, simply around convenience. So we just talked about Amazon. I think one of the good examples of that are Tesco. And then there's uh, the brands that really want to differentiate by creating truly delightful experiences where people go out of their way to, to, to meet these brands where, you know, in, in, in specific uh, places or opportunities to, because the brand is doing such a great job. And, and the fourth one, which I think is, is, you know, more and more interesting is what are, what are the actual values of the brand? What does the brand believe in beyond just the commercial and transactional that sort of creates new margin and, and the poster, uh, the poster children for, for, for those types, obviously like Patagonia or, or, or your, your, so your small indie businesses that are very close to the community. So I think a lot of brands are trying to replicate that. And what the model actually talks more about is, is, you know, really being differentiated in, in a, in a tangible and measurable way. So that's one thing. The other, the other, the other uh, framework is, uh, sort of based on the triple bottom line approach, or the three P's of 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 you know planet, people, and profit, and how those need to intersect. And I, I've sort of uh, pushed that one degree further, and think thinking about it as a flywheel now, and how we need to build momentum around those three P's, and that you will no longer uh, no longer be able to, you will not no longer be a sustainable business, and not just <laughs> in the environmental sense, but the economic sense. Uh, going forward, and, and uh, if you don't take into consideration more and more of these three Ps, or at the very least, there will be some strong offsets or government regulations or financial uh, incentives or, or 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 penalties for not putting that more, bringing that back more and more to the core of the value proposition, where we see. Uh, you know, first of all, planet. Second of all, people. And when I say people, I'm not just talking about the people that work for you or your customers, but also your your supply chain. All the so the whole really truly the society or uh, 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 societal impacts of what you're doing. So once we get towards that, and and I wrote a piece about that actually just before heading out to Asia and how that was going to be the biggest trend of this decade. And uh, thinking that was sort of pushed out five to 10 years. And I think the acceleration has pulled that forward as well. And obviously, after uh, the pandemic has hit a lot of industries, particularly hard, whether it's airlines or retail, you still feel that that sort of planet perspective mm. is is coming to the forefront. Yeah. And, and in the interviews, in those, those eight interviews in the book, I, I was, I mean, that's a really good question because that was a big concern of mine. Uh, I was like, is this really still relevant? Because I'd written this article sort of, you know, saying, okay, this is the definitive, the definitive trend of the next decade. And I come back and a month later, I'm like, wow, maybe I got that completely wrong. But I was reassured in those eight interviews without me bringing it forward. And the book wasn't, you know, it wasn't written. So they didn't even know that it was really sort of one of the frameworks of the book. Um, I, I sort of, it sort of came naturally where everybody eventually started talking about uh, the build back better. And, and, you know, there's still a lot of work to do, but it was, uh, it would, that's just been something that's been accelerated. I think the, the a global crisis, health crisis like this, just uh, put that much more emphasis on the importance of looking further than profit to to rethink our business models. And for instance, um, 
in the book, there's Peter Backstrom's one of the eight. He's head of uh, he's uh, head of special projects on run uh, innovation and sustainability for H and M. You know, a company that we could all you know lay a lot of blame on around their impacts on the environment and. And he brought forward some really interesting uh, data points and in, around, or even the perceptions around the critical importance and how these large organizations are probably going to be the ones they're going to drive most of the change because they have everything to gain from it. They're not just doing it because it's the right thing to do because it makes economic sense. And then shortly after, I interviewed uh, Isabelle Blondet, who's uh, working on Decathlon's 2030 strategy. Uh, she's part of their 2030 strategy group. She's an architect by training. And there's a lot of the new store formats for Decathlon around the world. And she brought, she's like, how can we be a company that promotes well-being and not have environmental well-being at the core of what we do and have to rethink how we, how we, uh, our supply chain, how we just, you know, all these elements, we all have to, this is not, it's non-negotiable. And, and, and this, and this sort of speaks to the flywheel effect because she goes, if we're not doing it, we're not going to get the buy-in from our stakeholders. We're not going to get, we're not going to, you know, maybe today we can still get away with it, but that day is, those days are, are really coming quickly to an end. And if we're not ready for that, then our economic existence is going to, is, is rapidly going to, is rapidly going to end. So uh, it was really, um, I guess, enlightening and, and encouraging to see these leaders all sort of at some level or another talk about the importance of Hussein Raouf, who's, who uh, was sort of the strategist behind Mall, the Dubai Mall and involved with a bunch of large uh, commercial development projects in the Middle East. Same, same things like we can't build a new project without really, you know, lead is no longer good enough. Like we need to really be pushing even further and really understanding the impacts of each one of our decisions on, on how the environment is going to be. So when you got people from the Middle East, from France, from, from Sweden, from North America, everybody's sort of coming together around rallying around that. And, and obviously people's first reaction can be, okay, it's just greenwashing. They're just, you know, they're just playing to the, putting the PR spin on it. But I mean, I feel I got from this and these people, I mean, this is not, and these are not, uh, you know, middle level people. These are people that are in positions uh, to make big decisions and big bold decisions to the theme of, of, of your podcast. And, and they're definitely going down that road. And, and once again, it's not just, it's not just because it's the right thing to do ethically. So I think there's, they're seeing the business case building around it as well. And I suppose, I think we spoke about this with Patagonia doing the boycotting Black Friday and sending all their mm -hmm. staff out to the beach and various yeah. things like that. And then ended up, having their, I think, most record online day, didn't they, because of it? Because everyone's like, amazing, we're going to support you anyway because of it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's why I said earlier, sort of the poster child of all this, Patagonia is often seen as uh, as leading the way and, and inspiring a lot. We have a company here in, in Canada called Cotton that, uh, that it's very, has some similar values and more, even much more societal and, 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 and global in some ways and, and, and very much inspired by the Patagonia model. And they're, and they're doing really, really well. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, there's this consciousness that really comes from, you know, the brands with the consciousness. If, if you and I, Julia, decided tomorrow morning, we're going to start a business around, you know, somewhere in the high street in, 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 uh, in, in, in London, you know, is it, do you, could you imagine us starting a business today that doesn't have some sort of, you know, broader picture narrative where we sort of are embracing this? You know, do you think we could start a business tomorrow that would survive if it was promoting throwaway plastic or, uh, or uh, unsustainable supply chain practices? I mean, obviously those businesses are still around today, 
but they just, you know, they're so legacy. They have so much behind them that they, they can still sort of make it that way and, and are, are trying to slowly adjust. Uh, but they're going to, they're facing the music guys, as I was saying around, you know, they recognize that there needs to change. And you see that you get da- daily reminders around that, but take it from the filter of starting a business in 2021 is and, and thinking about it in that way. And, and, and under that lens and say, is there a way in 2021 that I would even be able to get out of the gate if this wasn't core to my value proposition? The answer is no. No way. No way at all. And I think back to your earlier point, I think people fatigue, you know, making sure that that culture mm-hmm. part is integral part of the model would be paramount as well. Obviously, we've been through this tough time over the last sort of year and a half and, and some some places in the world are still very much going going through it. How optimistic are you about the future? Yeah, well, I think you bring up a big important point. Some places in the world are still going through this and they will be for some time. And that is, you know, that's something that hopefully, you know, us, the more, more, the more privileged countries are going to really be putting a lot of energy on. And my contact with Southeast Asia and teaching there, I mean, you know, it's still, they're still very much struggling with, with, with this and will be for, for some time. Uh, so that makes me a little less optimistic about the short term. But uh, I think this this reset in the conversations, I think it's very important we keep reminding our business leaders of these commitments they've been making over the last 18 months because they've recognized and our business and government leaders are recognizing how this is all interconnected. And that makes me more optimistic because I don't think we're going to be able to get away from that. I don't think there's a scenario where we go back to business as usual in that way. I think there are certain things, certain previous um behaviors that will settle back towards not exactly the way they were before. And you could, you could sort of mirror that off of uh, uh, office occupancy or business travel or some of these, these sort of behaviors that we can think about at least medium, you know, medium term are not going to go back to exactly the way we were before and probably not long-term either. And there's some, some, some shifts that are here to stay that are, I would hope to think are, are positive. Um so that will that will leave me thinking more optimistically. But uh, you know, if my the only concern I have, if, if this hasn't rattled us enough into making these make taking these uh, these new bold directions that we need to take, then I don't know what will. So, what do you think it's going to take for a brand to thrive? Then bankruptcy. <laughs> so literally, that bottom. You know, line. If we don't change, we are literally gonna die, isn't it? Exactly, because because I, and this is where the government comes into play. So so if you're not making the right decisions around your environmental impact, and there's going to be regulations that are going to start showing up that are going to be so penalizing for you that your financial incentive to do the right thing is going to have to outweigh. And I know it's very complicated, and it takes that takes some very bold political thinking and courage. Uh, to do that. And we're seeing some parts of the world that are, you know, slowly getting towards that. But uh, I think that's, that's one way. But on the other end, too, I think the consumers are going to have to be more and more sensitive. And I have a lot of faith. I have young children, you know, I have teenage children and, and, you know, seeing where their values lie and what they, what they consider important to them. Uh, I hope that's going to, you know, just keep on being amplified where are the leaders that we elect, the business leaders that we put forward, uh, recognize all this and and make this you know make this again quarter their value proposition not just because it's the right thing to do it's because it's going to make just good business sense. Yeah, I had a podcast this morning with um, uh, the design council. One of their key core things, you know, taking it into the design and creative community, is actually around the sort of the impact on the planet of design and how as 
creative strategists in this industry, how we can make big difference for to really help brands and businesses sort of moving forward. So I think it's you're absolutely right that and I think that's that's a hard to hear. That's a hard to hear the word bankruptcy, isn't it? But I think the stakes are that high now, aren't they? I really do. I really, really do. And I think the the metrics, the incentives, the way that we measure success, uh, all these things, you know, are are, are rapidly shifting. Uh, I think to to address these this, these new realities, and and again, I think it's it's going to play into the the whole resilience notion too. It's going to make ultimately organizations more resilient if you're not just if you're not just focusing on that one thing. If you're able to balance find a balance. So I talk a lot about the digital physical balance, but if you can find this new balance between uh, economic, uh, environmental and societal um, impact, then then I think you're going to be a lot more, that's going to build your organizational resilience. You're going to have a better time attracting talent, attracting the right part, business partners, the right, uh, you know, the right, the right uh, uh, suppliers and so forth. And uh, at the same time, you know, be seen by the consumers for the for the right reasons. So all that tied together, I mean, that's uh, for me. It seems like it. There's, it's it's the only way to go. And I suppose just on the last question with uh, Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp going down this week, Carl also one of the things that he does is report on um, CNN and, and give a give a great opinion to to those about this the state. What did you feel like you learned from that this week? There's quite a big. Monopoly and it made quite a big impact, didn't it? On the um... so yeah, and that's and that's a really important point. And I definitely uh, seize that opportunity to reinforce my message, as any good marketer would do. Uh, I, I, you know, when I talk about race to resilience and this, 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 you know, rapidly heading to a 50-50 physical digital world, you know, I remind people I'm not saying 100% digital or 100% virtual. For that very reason, I, and I, I talk about it very briefly in the book, but I said it's as much a race for those that were those digitally native vertical brands that we've, you know, we've looked up to for the last decade, and how and how innovative they are, and and how they're able to to get direct build direct relationships with the customers without that physical presence, and that exposes their vulnerability when we have events like like that, you know, a half being a half a day without the, you know, the largest uh, social network in the world. Uh, and and reminds these brands that they need, and you've seen this, and you, we talked, we just opened up earlier around Amazon increasing its physical footprint. And I said it was mainly for data collection, but there's also some resilience in there too for them uh, to know that they have a network because uh, it'd be what happened, you know, the, whatever caused the, the outages at, at Facebook. I mean, there's going to be more and more of these sort of events around in, uh, denial uh uh, DNS attacks, or, de- or 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 all these different sort of things that can happen that make digital not not as not as robust as we might think it is. I'm not I'm not calling for a digital apocalypse. I'm just saying these sort of things are going to happen, and and uh, will be out of our control. And you're going to be happy that you have another channel to fall back on during those times that could be physical, that could be more. Uh, you know, closer to the community for in, into your customer base and all these things. So it is, uh, you know, I think that was sort of a wake up call. I mean, if I have a brand today that's a hundred percent relying on Instagram, I, I think the last thing I am is resilient. No, I totally agree with you, and I think it was really interesting during the pandemic. You know, brands like you know Airbnb suddenly started doing tutorials and training, and really overnight went 
probably very little income. So absolutely fascinating. Well, I just want to say thanks for joining us today, Carl. As always, I could talk to Carl for hours and hours. Um, he's absolutely inspiring. And so thank you for listening to Bold Thinking, Entrepreneurial Stories Honestly Told. If this episode has got you thinking, share your comments on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram, or you can con- contact us at The Honest Brand. Join me next time to hear from someone else who's making a positive change in the world. And I just want to say thank you to Carl today for joining us from uh, Montreal. It's been absolutely gripping to hear from you and really looking forward to uh, reading your book. Thanks, Joanna. Looking forward to being in London. Yeah, now when are you coming over? <laughs> we've, got to, we've got to nail that down. <laughs>